0: Well, good morning, church. I am so excited to speak with you this morning. And Pastor Aaron was right. This is going to be teachy, not preachy. So I've got lots of tabs. We're We're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning. But let's open in prayer, if you would. Would you bow your heads? Lord God, we are here in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. They needed a title for this earlier in the week. And, um, Corey called me about it about the same time that I had been in the scripture that that we're going to, part of the scripture we're going to cover. And I had entered into into this particular passage with a little bit of imagination. Have you done that? Have you read something and and put yourself in the scene? What would it be like if you were there when David encountered Goliath? What would that have sounded like? What, What would it have smelled like? Or when Rahab hid the spies, covered them up and hid them on the roof, or when Jesus said to that little girl, rise and walk, what it have been like to be there. And so to kind of put yourself into those stories to observe is a really great way to interact with Scripture, and that's what I was doing when Corey said, well, what's your title going to be? And I realized as, as I had been reading through this passage that there were a couple of wait what moments. So I have a really fancy title. It's, wait, what? You've done that, right? Wait, what? So there we go. Wait, what is today? Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And we're going to start in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, He was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So on the church calendar, and y'all know I love the church calendar, the liturgical church calendar. I know in my, my own spiritual formation, that rhythm of following scripture, following the life of Christ throughout the year has been very important to me. On the church calendar this past Thursday was Ascension Day. Anybody realize that? Yeah, I see some nods. That's great. So that makes this Ascension Sunday. And that passage that I read is the passage that details Jesus ascending into heaven. I realized a while back that I had been taught something early on, probably as a child, about the ascension of Jesus. And what I had what I had learned, how it had been explained to me, was that. Jesus had to go away so that the holy spirit could come and that childish understanding remained with me and filtered what I what I knew about Jesus what I knew about the ascension far 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 longer than I'm comfortable admitting even though as an adult I read passages that said like in Luke 4:14 4, then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the the surrounding region, or then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And no doubt you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Somehow, in in my mind, I understood that Jesus and the Holy Spirit couldn't be present at the same time. And so that Jesus would have to go for the Holy Spirit to come. some Almost like some sort of weird tag team that one had to tap out for the other to tap in. And I wonder if maybe some of you had that understanding, that that's how the ascension was explained to you as well. So we're going to dive into this a little bit, because the ascension of Jesus Christ is an important, important theological point. It's, um, It's a critical part of our faith story, and maybe we haven't spent quite enough time talking about it. So, this happens 40 days after the resurrection. It's been an amazing 40 days. Jesus has appeared to his followers, to his disciples. He's taught them. He's eaten with them, and now that time is coming to an end. That forty forty is important in Scripture, right? We see it in several places. But it's been forty days, and he's with them near the Mount of Olives. He's been teaching them. He says to them, "You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now." And their response is, "Lord, is now the time that the kingdom's going to be restored to Israel?" They didn't have any imagination for the promise of God to be anything other than what they had always expected, right? Couldn't, couldn't be anything else. And now even though they've had these 40 days after the resurrection, they saw Jesus dead. They saw his resurrection, that he has been with them, and that their, their question is still, now are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? We can, we can understand that, I think, because they have seen the resurrection. But they're still under Roman oppression. Things don't appear to have changed around them. So surely now that's going to happen. And Jesus said, that's no, not for you to know. That was one of my, wait, what? You know, he's been teaching them. He's just said the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And then they get a, nope, it's not for you to know. To help us understand a little bit about what the ascension means, we're going to take a step back into the Old Testament. I'm going to do some paraphrasing. Um, I'm going to paraphrase some from Leviticus 16. I'm not going to cover all the details because there are a lot of details. But let's kind of step back into time, um, to the time of Moses. Actually, let's go back a little farther. Let's go back to Abraham. Abram, whom God made a covenant that Abraham would be a father of a nation and that nation would be a blessing to the entire world. And years pass, and Abraham's descendants end up in Egypt, enslaved people in Egypt for 400 years. It's all they knew. It's what their identity was was to be enslaved. And then God sends Moses to lead them out, and he leads them out into the desert for 40 years, 40 years. And in that time, in that period of 40 years, God is forming those formerly enslaved people who were his promise to Abraham. He is forming them into his people. All they knew was what it was like to be enslaved. He's teaching them how to be community. He's teaching them how to, how to worship him, how to be in relationship with each other. In fact, the high point of that, of that instruction on how to worship, what their relationship with him would be, what their relationship with each other would be, we call that the Ten Commandments. That's God forming his people into being the people of promise. And part of that worship that he teaches them in the wilderness is a, a series of acts, a series of sacrifices they will make to acknowledge that they fall short of the ways of love, that they fall short of obedience to him. And so there, there's a system of sacrifices they make. Um, a whole slew of other regulations that they follow, what they eat, what they wear, what they touch and can't touch, what's clean, what's not clean. And one day a year, one day every year, the high priest makes a sacrifice for the atonement of all the sins of the people. That's where we go in Leviticus 16. At that point, Aaron, who is Moses' brother, is the high priest, and he is told to um, change out of his fancy priestly garb, to put on very simple linen tunic and sash, uh, and he makes sacrifice. First, he has to make a sacrifice for his own sin. As the high priest, he has to make sacrifice for himself before he can approach God on behalf of the people. And so he does that, and then he takes a goat and sacrifices the goat and carries that blood into the Holy of Holies, into that space in the temple that no person went into except for this one day a year, into this place where the Ark of the Covenant rested, in the Ark were the the Ten Commandments, those stone tablets that God had given Moses, Along with a, a staff and a, a container of manna, but the the, com- the law was in the ark. The law was contained in this in this space that only was the residence of God. That's where the where God was resident with his people, in that holy of holies. And on top of that ark, that wooden ark covered in gold, was a mercy seat. Don't you love the imagery of that? The mercy seat covered the law. And the high priest would walk into that space once a year and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice onto the mercy seat and in front of the covenant, Ark of the Covenant. And then he would come back out. You may have heard the story that normally he, they would have a string tied to his ankle with bells. Because, nope, if, see, if he did something wrong and didn't make it out. (laughs) They would pull him out because nobody could go in to get him. This was a serious, serious business. And it was the place that the high priest represented the people in seeking forgiveness. It's called the day of atonement. The high priest would come out and he would go to another goat. We've got two goats in this story. He would go to another goat that had been set aside, and he would lay his hands on the head of that goat, and he would speak over that goat all the sins of the people of Israel. He would say that out loud over that goat, and the goat would then be led away and released into the wilderness, removing the sins from the encampment of the people, and that's where we get the phrase scapegoat. When somebody is blamed for something they didn't do, right? It comes from this act of speaking the sins of the people over that goat and then sending it away. Aaron, or the high priest, would then go back into the temple, into the tabernacle, and change, wash, and change back into his priestly finery, and come back out to bless the people. So he's gone in to present sacrifice for sin. The sin has been separated from the people, sent away. And then he comes back out to bless the people. Let's go to Hebrews. Keep that, keep that story. What the, the high priest did. Now we're going to go to Hebrews 9. Why did Jesus ascend? Why couldn't he stay here with the Holy Spirit? Why did he have to leave this place? Read this. Now the Messiah has appeared, high priest of the good things that have come, in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered the most holy place once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkling those who are defiled sanctify for the purification of the flesh, y'all listen to this. How much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works to serve the living God. The ascension of Jesus Christ was the high priest walking into the holy of holies, presenting himself as both offering and offerer for our sins. The culmination of Death on the cross, resurrection, the walking in the ascension is important. That's why we observe this day, because the atonement is presented to the Father there. Jesus also said to his disciples that um, they would receive power. What's interesting, I think, is... Their assumption was the kingdom would be restored. The power becomes a political power, a military power. It's not the kind of power Jesus said they, he, was gonna, they would leave, he would leave with them, with the spirit. The power is the power to be a witness. That word witness actually is martyr. Witness can be, when you look it up, it's a verb and a noun, Right? and often often we think about our talking about the gospel presenting the gospel is is just something we do i'll go witness to my friend check it off the list the power that we have is to live the lives of martyrs of witnesses fully devoted to Christ that everything about our life speaks of Jesus not just something that we do to check off a list everything that we, everything we are, all of who we are is a witness to Jesus. That's hard. Can't do it. Yes, you can. The Holy Spirit will give you power to live as a witness, as a martyr. One, not focusing on yourself, but focusing on the, on the blessed son of God. Living a life of mercy and peace and justice, loving the other, welcoming the other. That's the power that he gives us. There's also an aspect of this ascension that is regal. The ascension of Christ is David's heir. David's heir, son of man, entering into the throne room of heaven and assuming his rightful place. Let's um, let's look at Daniel now. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Daniel's having a vision, and he says, I saw one like a human being coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the ancient one and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. And his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. The ascension of Jesus Christ was the kingly ascension to his rightful place. We sang, I'm so grateful, Aubrey, that you had that All Hail King Jesus. At one point this week, I thought, I should text Aubrey and see if we could sing that. (laughs) And I didn't. And we did. All Hail King Jesus. Because he ascended. Because he left this realm. And that's weird to talk about, isn't it? It's It's not some form of primitive space travel that Jesus goes to some galaxy to hang out. Somehow in the mystery of God, he moves from this dimension of reality that we live in into God's realm. My mom, who is 82 now, calls it the glory world. I love that. I used to think that just sounded really old-fashioned when I heard my grandmother say it, and now my mom say it, the glory world. But Jesus, the physical body of Jesus, transcended from this space into God's space, leaving us the power in this space to live as witnesses. And so I hope I hope in the future that that you put Ascension Day on your calendar and that there's some way that you mark that as a follower of Christ, that this next thing happened and the King of Kings is now on the throne. The high priest makes intercession for us. The high priest took that offering, offered it to the Father, The incarnation of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, the leaving, the sending of the Holy Spirit. We've got 10 days here, so Pentecost is next Sunday, and we'll celebrate that. These are the things that we remember. This forms us. I tell you what, this understanding of the ascension is so much better than my childish understanding that Jesus had to go away so the Holy Spirit would come. Jesus' going was huge, significantly huge in the story of God's relationship with his people. And so the the disciples are standing there. They're looking up. Again, wait, what moment? And suddenly there appear two people, robed in white. Saying, what are, why are you just looking up into the sky? Get on with things. Get on with things. And I think that's a call to us today too. Get on with things. With living the life of a witness. With proclaiming the gospel. And if there, if there are places in your heart that think i can't do that i'm i'm not holy enough to do that there is too much brokenness in me to do that that the human jesus took all our humanity with him into that holy of holies There is nothing too broken in your life that cannot be healed, whether it's things you have done or have been done to you. The high priest has taken our humanity to the Father for healing, for wholeness. And so I would ask you to just bow your heads for a minute. to let the Spirit speak to you. Are there places in your heart that still have a maybe a childish understanding about what Jesus has done? Are there hurting places or broken places that need the touch of God? Your high priest is even now in the presence of the Father. And so, would you offer that to him to hold out to the Father for forgiveness, for healing, for wholeness? Your king and high priest. you speak to our hearts in the tender places help us to open our hands to receive the grace to understand that the mercy seat covers the law and you would seek to draw us into your very heart for the things that that are being offered to you now the sacrifices being offered to you of brokenness of pain of hurt we are grateful for your touch for the healing that you provide and we worship you We say, all hail King Jesus.